Italian Wine Podcast. Chin Chin with Italian Wine People. My name is Monty Ward and I'm with Chiara Lungarotti from a very famous wine producing family in Umbria. Chiara, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Matthew. Now, um, or you can, yeah, Matthew's my real name, just for everybody to know, but Monty's my pen name, and that's okay. So you're in Umbria, and um, Umbria is the what they call the green heart of Italy. Why is that? Because it's, uh, it's the really heart of our country. You can see when you come to Umbria, our rolling hills with this lush green on that, especially in this season, all these symphonies of different greens, from the grey of the olives uh, to the dark of the woods to the fresh of the wheat now, and then, of course, uh, during late spring and summer, the wonderful colours of the vineyards that become yellow and red in autumn. So when, when we talk about... Um Umbria being the, being the green heart of Italy is that because because it's central you get lots of rain because of the hills how does that work no it's not just the green heart it's the green heart because we we have been protecting our pristine landscapes through the through the decades and that's why it's so it's so green today Umbria has a continental climate so hot summers and cold winters but uh, in the case of Torgiano, for instance, we are in a very special position because we are right in the center of Umbria, between Perugia and Assisi. So our vineyards are on a hill, the hill of Brufa, that's between two valleys, the river Tiber Valley and the river Chiascio Valley. And after these two valleys, there are hills and then the Apennines. And as you know, the weather in, is uh, greatly affected by the altitude of the mountains. And therefore... Is even for that reason that in that very special corner of Umbria we have a very very nice climate for winemaking. So you get a little bit of rain and you get lots of sun and a nice cold winter, which is good for ice pests, for overwintering pests. It kills them all off. Yes, usually we have a nice uh, cold and also rainy winter. That is very important to create the water resource in the soil. That's are so important for a good starting in spring and then for the plants is very important are very important for uh, facing a hot summer as usually we have can you i mean when you say it's cold i mean you've got the apennine mountains which is like the backbone of italy i mean is it is it cold enough for you to go skiing in the hills or not not on hills but sometimes some in some years we go skiing on the apennines yes we do now tell me about your family your father was called Giorgio, right yes my... and how, how far how far sorry how far back does your family go is it a young family or have you been doing this for generations no my my father's family has been doing agriculture since generation but it was my father that after world war ii specialized the family estate into a wine estate and uh, it started to replant all the old vineyards. You know that in central Italy, the, the vineyards were cultivated in cultura promiscua, that is to say one row of vines and then 20 meters of wheat or other intensive cultivation in another row of wine and so on. So it took away these old vineyards and it started to plant specialized vineyards already in the late 50s, early 60s. And the first vintage of our most well-known wine, Rubesco, was 1962. And since 1964, we produced the reserve version of our Rubesco 
coming from a single vineyard called Monticchio. Rubesco is fun because he managed to, he thought to give a proprietary name to a wine. That was rather unusual at that time, but our territory, Torgiano, was not known as uh, Barolo or Chianti or other famous territories in Italy. And it was not just one varietal, but was a blend. And therefore he thought about this proprietary name, Rubesco. Mm. And what was in Rubesco at that time, and has the blend changed over time? What were the great varieties? At that time, uh, Rubesco was a Sangiovese-based wine, 70%, and Canaiolo, 30%. Today, it's a Sangiovese, 90%, and 10% Colorino. And personally, I find that Sangiovese is a fantastic varietal that finds so many different expressions all over central Italy and uh, really reflects the territory it comes from. When you taste a glass of Rubesco and you close your eyes, you can imagine the rolling hills of Umbria. Okay, that's very poetic. I mean, but in terms of how does your... Um, is you, are you saying that your Sangiovese in Umbria is like a, a, a sort of a softer version of uh, Sangiovese compared to, say, a Chianti? Uh, what's the, what's the difference between, between your Sangiovese and, say, a Chianti Sangiovese? And, uh, and the Chianti Sangiovese is uh, it's a little bit smoother. It's more round. And uh, it's, um, it's a Sangiovese that... Uh, it's very soft, usually, in your mouth. And, uh, of course, as you know, Sangiovese changes a lot according to the altitude, changes a lot according to the exposure. And we have a, a nice western exposure, and the altitude is around 300 meters on the sea level. And this, of course, uh, but we have a, a soil that uh, brings the, usually the maturation to the end of September. And this, of course... Uh, gives uh, um, a nice smoothness uh, to our wines, but never, the, our grapes are never overripe, that they are always in the balance, because what we look for is elegance. So is that one of the reasons why, I mean, you do sell a lot of wine in Italy, a lot of Italian producers are really focused on exports, which I think is a very good thing, um, but you have um, around about 50% of your wines are sold in Italy. Why is that important for you? Well, actually, I think that uh, it's important to be present in your own country, in your domestic market, because uh, when people, we, we export 50%, we, that's, it has been since, I think, more, more or less since the late 70s, the same percentage between domestic and export market. I think that uh, when people come to a touristic destination like Italy and they look for Italian wines, it's important to find your wines there, especially in, in your territory. And uh, it's something that is part of the holiday. And so once you go back home, you will always look for a wine that brings with him fond memories. So it's like, like they sort of become your ambassador almost when they go home, these tourists. So they, they think of Lungorotti and they look for it when, when they get back to their domestic market. And at the same time, I think that uh, we are good ambassadors for our region and for our country. And on that note, we'll close. Thank you very much, Chiara Lungorotti. Very interesting to talk to you. And I look forward to seeing you in Umbra. I, I used to go and buy my chicken food not a million miles away from your winery because there's a very good uh, windmill there. Talk about some of the other crops. Jarrah was talking about like the grain and things like that. It's a fantastic place, Umbria. Very, very polycultural. So next Stunning. time you will go to buy your uh, chicken food, you will also come to visit our estate and our wine museum, where we have rebuilt the five millennials of wine and its links with our Mediterranean civilizations. It's considered the best of Italy and one of the ten top in the world. Brilliant. Okay, we'll check that out. We'll have uh, chicken for lunch as well. With a glass of uh, Rubesco. Of course. With Thank great pleasure. Thanks, Gareth. It's been really nice to talk to you. Take Grazie. care. Grazie. Grazie, Monty. Thanks. Follow us at 
Italian Wine Podcast on Facebook.